welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together, and I pray that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do today, but that you would speak to the glory of Christ's name alone. Amen. By this point in our study, I hope we've all truly understood that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, first of all, just that. They're gifts, graciously given by the Holy Spirit who loves us and lives in us. They enable us to serve beyond any natural ability we might have, and they have been given to build up the church and bring glory to God. However, it seems that this was not the case in the New Testament church of Corinth, where many had gotten off track in their practice of the spiritual gifts. Far from being a strong, unified church, the Corinthians were becoming known for their chaotic worship services and their many divisions. Instead of seeking to glorify God, individuals had begun to use the spiritual gifts they'd been given to draw attention to themselves. A strong sense of competition had arisen, in which some proudly flaunted their spiritual gifts, while others eyed them with jealousy and judgmentalism. It seems that the Corinthians mistakenly valued certain gifts and looked down on others. The antidote to all this poisonous division was unity, and that's really what Paul emphasized in his first letter to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he wrote, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Paul wanted them to understand that all the gifts, as varied and different as they were, came from the same source. The same Spirit gave each one. The same Lord was being served and the same God was actually doing the work in and through them all. So there was no room for pride or jealousy or competition in the church. He went on to explain just how much this fractured group of believers needed each other in verse 7. But to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. There are gifts mentioned in these verses that we will look at later in the lesson. However, let's not miss what Paul wanted them to know. There is so much packed into that very first sentence alone. 
Paul reiterates that it is the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual gifts to each one of God's children. He leaves no one out. He has no favorites. And he reminds them that these gifts are not given for anyone's own benefit, but are meant to inspire and encourage the whole church to prosper the entire body. No one gift is more important than another, for though the gifts may be varied, they're all evidence of the Holy Spirit who is at work in and through each believer. Using the same analogy as he had when writing to the believers in Rome, Paul reminded them that church is rather like a body, and he presents an almost absurd illustration of how strange it would be if the different parts of a body refuse to accept their place, cooperate with one another, or work together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In stressing the essential unity of the church, Paul is somewhat humorously pointing out that unity does not mean uniformity. Every single part is necessary for us to be whole and functioning. And the church, the body of Christ, is no different. We are one body, members of one another, and God has placed each one of us in the body just as he wanted us to be. The church would be totally ineffective if everyone had the same spiritual gift. We need each other and each of us must play our part. But the gifts are to be exercised in love with a deep concern for building up the church. Otherwise, everything is but a harsh noise to God as we talked about last time. So with that as our background, let's take a closer look at the gifts that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Though the gift of wisdom is mentioned first, it is worth noting that this is the only place in the New Testament where this particular gift is mentioned. Essentially, the gift of wisdom discerns the work of the Holy Spirit in a given situation and 
applies his teachings and actions to the needs of the body. The exercise of this gift of wisdom helps individuals and groups find the right way forward, especially in complex situations. For example, I'm sure that James, the head of the Jerusalem church we mentioned last week, not only had the gift of leadership, but also had the gift of wisdom to discern the work of the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles. Those with the gift of wisdom typically are able to apply the truths of God's word to specific situations. They're often the ones others will consult when struggling to make a difficult decision, as these individuals usually have the wisdom to analyze a situation correctly and often they see a godly solution to the problem. Probably the best example in scripture of the gift of wisdom is actually a person from the Old Testament, Solomon. As a king, Solomon was one of the few who were anointed with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. He asked God to equip him with the spiritual gift of wisdom and his request was granted. The most well-known example of Solomon's wisdom occurred when two mothers disputed the identity of an infant child in 1 Kings chapter 3. The two mothers lived together in the same house and both had born sons at the same time. During the night, one of the boys died and his mother switched her deceased infant for the living one while the other mother was asleep. But when the sleeping mother awoke in the morning, she realized the dead child at her side was not hers. And no matter how much she pressed the issue, the other mother would not admit to what she'd done. Solomon offered to split the living child in half, understanding that its true mother would prefer to lose her son to another woman rather than to have him killed, and that is exactly how he found out who the real mother was. Solomon's reputation for wisdom spread all over the world. Now, you may not have the wealth or fame of Solomon, but if you find that people often seek out your opinion on different matters and you've been able to apply biblical truth to their specific needs, you may well have the gift of wisdom. The spiritual gift of knowledge is next, mentioned by Paul, and it's similar to wisdom, yet slightly different. I have heard it said that knowledge knows what God desires, and wisdom knows how to get there within the context of our lives. Whereas those with the spiritual gift of wisdom can speak biblical truth in such a way as to skillfully help others to apply it to particular life situations, those with the gift of the word of knowledge are able to understand God's word at a deep level and are able to connect truths together in such a way as to bring greater insight of scripture and God's will to the church. The person with the gift of knowledge is usually well-versed in the scriptures and often has much committed to memory. They seem to be able to retain the truth 
and communicate it effectively at the appropriate time. Someone with this gift would likely have a wide range of study resources and know how to get information. They enjoy studying and spending time digging for facts because they want to learn to think like God and to help others get a better grasp on God's will. The Apostle Paul would certainly have been one who had the gift of knowledge. In his early life as a Pharisee, he would have been dedicated to the study of God's word. However, it was only once he came to faith in Christ and had been filled with the Holy Spirit that he was really able to make sense of everything he knew. The gift of knowledge allows a believer to relate the scriptures and particularly the gospel of Jesus Christ to all aspects of life in this world. They can see how it connects to every situation and circumstance and how the truth of the gospel is to inform every decision a Christian makes. Paul never lost his love of studying. In fact, when he was in prison, he asked Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4.13, When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. To the very end of his life, Paul was devoted to the knowledge and practice of God's word. So if you enjoy studying and know how to get information, if you are able to connect scriptures together in a meaningful way that helps others know God more, if you're able to retain and share what you learn, you may indeed have the gift of knowledge. Now, as you may have picked up, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge overlap in many ways, and they also often operate in conjunction with the gift of teaching or prophecy. In actual practice, however, it's sometimes very difficult to know where one gift ends and the other begins. But, you know, that's okay. These are not hard and fast descriptions, and though we look at them as separate items in a list to try to understand them, we have to remember that the distribution of the gifts belongs to the Holy Spirit, and He gives them and uses them as He wills. They're not ours to claim or hold on to or actually even to define. He is the one who accomplishes everything. The next gift Paul mentions is the gift of faith. Faith is foundational in the life of every believer. And in fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We all need faith. However, as we've seen with other gifts of the Holy Spirit, those with the gift of faith are able to trust God to work beyond human capabilities and expectations in a far greater way than is normal. Believers with this gift are able to encourage others to trust God in the face of apparently insurmountable odds. An excellent example of this gift of faith in action is found in Acts 27 when Paul was prisoner aboard a ship sailing to Rome. 
They were sailing at a very dangerous time of year because of the high winds. Paul had actually urged them not to risk it, but they refused to pay attention to him, with the end result that they were caught in the middle of a terrible storm. As the storm continued, even the sailors themselves gave up gave up all hope of being saved. But Paul had the exceptional faith to believe otherwise. The Lord had revealed to him that he would indeed get to Rome, and so he urged them, Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Fearing that the ship might be broken up, several of the sailors actually tried to escape in the lifeboat. But Paul urged the centurion that unless everyone stayed with the ship, none of them would be saved. You know, faith often requires that we be willing to trust God even when his instructions don't seem to make worldly sense. The centurion believed Paul and had them cut the ropes to the lifeboat, preventing anyone from escape. And though they eventually did run aground, everyone was able to swim to shore. They were all safe, just as Paul had the faith to believe. The apostle Paul knew that God would keep his promise. His faith encouraged his shipmates to trust God in the face of insurmountable odds and the Lord worked beyond their expectations. This is a dramatic story, but those with the gift of faith have a special ability to trust God for all things, large and small. They're able to hope in Him no matter how dark things may look. They have about them a settled assurance that all things work together for the glory of God, and they remain steadfast in the face of difficulties, obstacles, delays, and even unanswered questions. They believe that God keeps his word and that what he has promised is on the way, and they wait in hope. Like Abraham in Romans 4.20, who even in the worst circumstances did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. The next spiritual gift Paul relates in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 9 is that of healing, but I want you to notice he says that the Holy Spirit gives to some gifts of healing. Why would he use the plural there? Well, if you think about it, this makes sense because the person who is used in this way by God is never the recipient of the healing, nor do they heal anyone. God does the healing and they act more like a delivery person. Think about Ananias in Acts chapter 9. At God's instruction, he laid hands on Saul. Ananias didn't heal Saul, but rather it was God who restored Saul's sight. I do also want to mention that there are many different types of healing too, and God's priorities for healing may be in a different order than ours. Healing of spirit, mind, emotions, and relationships 
often come before the healing of our bodies. Many of the apostles operated in this gift of healing, which rather like miracles God used to confirm that they were speaking the truth about Jesus and that there was real authority in Christ's name. In fact, I must point out that most spiritual gift assessments today do not even have the gifts of healing and miracles listed, as these are extremely rare and often only occur in remote areas on the mission field where God's word is not known and where people still need to be convinced of Christ's power. But whatever the case The gifts of healing and working of miracles are subject to the divine will of God, and his purposes are never decided by the one who prays for healing or who performs the miraculous works. Actually, I have nothing more to add as to how you would know if the Holy Spirit was using you in this way, because quite honestly, it would be so remarkable you would not be able to miss it. Because we covered the gift of prophecy last week, the next gift we're going to look at in detail is the ability to distinguish between spirits, which is more commonly called the gift of discernment. Discernment is about recognizing the true intentions of people or about recognizing a spiritual influence in their lives or circumstances. Those with this gift are used by the Holy Spirit to test the messages and actions of others for the protection and well-being of the church. An excellent example of this gift in action is found in Acts 16, as Paul and Luke and Silas were in Philippi. Luke begins with the account in verse 16. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Perhaps that story strikes you as being odd. Wasn't it a good thing for the woman to shout out what she did? After all, Paul and his companions were indeed servants of the Most High God. And as they shared the gospel message, they were most certainly telling people the way to be saved. So what was it about what she said or the way in which she said it that alerted Paul to the fact that they were in fact dealing with a demon that was controlling her? I'm pretty sure that day after day, her yelling was causing a distraction and that she was interrupting them as they preached. But Paul, operating in the gift of discernment, finally acted on what the Holy Spirit was impressing on his heart, and he became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Immediately, the Spirit left her and she ceased her outbursts. 
Because she also lost the ability to tell fortunes, she was useless to her owners. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested, which is in itself a whole other wonderful story. Nevertheless, Paul's discernment resulted in freedom for that much-abused slave girl. Now, I must say, though, that the person operating in this gift doesn't only discern bad things or bad influences, they discern good things as well. So how would you know that you might have the spiritual gift of discernment? Well, ask yourself, am I often able to sense the true motivation of a person or a group? Can I recognize when a person is being genuine and honest, especially about their relationship with God? Can I sense when a person is not acting in accordance with God's will or under his leadership? If you answer yes to any of those questions, you may indeed have the spiritual gift of discernment. But this is never an excuse to be mean-spirited or unkind to people. Remember, all the gifts are to be exercised in love with the person or the group's ultimate good in mind. The final two gifts mentioned in this list by Paul are the gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, we will be speaking more on this topic next week as we continue to look at some of the problems encountered by the church in Corinth. But I would like to include a few points on these gifts as we close our lesson today. The gift of tongues can take a few different forms. For example, it can be the miraculous ability to speak in an earthly language without learning it. It can also be an ability to speak in an earthly language far above one's own natural ability. We saw that happen on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were able to speak in languages they hadn't learned so that people from all backgrounds could hear the message spoken in their own language. I believe that many Bible translators today, for example, have the gift of tongues and perhaps even the gift of interpretation of tongues as they seek to translate the message of the Bible into every language of the earth. But the scripture also speaks of some having the ability to speak in a heavenly tongue or a language given specially for prayer by the Lord. We'll be studying that further next week when we discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which relates to all that was going on at the church in Corinth with regard to the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Believe me when I say you won't want to miss it. God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your hand upon us today. Lord, thank you that you give good gifts to your children. You leave no one out. Lord, I pray that we would trust you to give us the right gift for us or gifts as the case may be, and that we would exercise them to the good of your people and also for the glory of your name. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.